Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Monique Bao, a 28-year-old realtor and mother of two who was shot to death on New Year's Eve 2019 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. On the day Monique was murdered, she received a call to show a home, but the person on the phone had no intention to purchase a home. She was being set up. Why would someone plot to murder Monique? This is Monique's story. When I first heard about this story, it was really just a blip on the news. There weren't a lot of details about what happened, but the news had already latched on to the theory that Monique was murdered in some kind of drug dispute involving her boyfriend and the father of her children. Now, I don't remember hearing anything else about this case until recently when the men who were arrested for her murder were convicted. Now, granted, Monique was murdered on the last day of the year, 2019, and no one knew what 2020 would be like. No one knew what kind of year that 2020 was going to be. A global pandemic, an election here in the United States, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and America kind of being forced to deal with its own racism. It's easy to understand how Monique's case and story, you know, faded from the headlines or didn't make it to the headlines at all. But like all of these women in these stories I cover, I wanted to know more. I wanted to find out why Monique's life had to end on the last day of 2019. You all know that I always want to tell you more about who these women were before they became victims, but I couldn't find any information about Monique. Her murder happened a little over a year ago, and for her family, it's still very raw. They haven't done any interviews, and aside from a few extended family members speaking to the media in the days following Monique's death, not a lot of people close to Monique have spoke to the media. And that's completely understandable, considering the heinous way in which Monique was stolen from this world. The last thing her family probably wants to do is talk to the media about their personal tragedy. But what we do know is that Monique had been living in Minneapolis with her boyfriend, John Mitchell Moma, and their two daughters. Now, John said that the couple had known each other since Monique was 16, 
And they had been together for a few years before Monique gave birth to their first daughter. And then two years later, they welcomed their second daughter. On Monique's Facebook page, there are beautiful maternity photos from when she was pregnant with her second daughter. In one of her posts, she writes about how she is excited and the couple can't wait to meet their new addition. The few people that did speak to the media about Monique said that she was a really nice person and that she had a heart of gold. By all accounts, Monique was a beautiful person both inside and out. She was someone who people loved to be around. Monique was a realtor, and according to her Facebook page, in 2018, she started working for a local realtor named Chris Lindell. Her Facebook cover photo is the logo for the company, and so that just lets you know how proud Monique was to be working for them and how much she loved being a realtor. While Monique focused on growing as a realtor, her boyfriend John was a local rapper that went by the stage name MoMA, which of course was his last name. Now, John was finding success as a rapper. He had gained a name for himself in Minneapolis and was on his way to having a really big career. Life seemed to be moving in the right direction for the couple. Monique was finding success as a realtor, and John was offered a record deal after doing a song with the late rapper Nipsey Hussle. He had even performed at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin that year. But neither of them could see how drastically life was going to change for them before 2019 was over. On December 31st, 2019, Monique received a call on her cell phone. The call was from a woman who was interested in a house that Monique had been showing that was in the Maple Grove section of the city. Now, Monique obviously took her job seriously, and so if she got a call about a house, even on New Year's Eve, she was working. And we know realtors, they work on commission. So I'm sure that they want to take advantage of every opportunity to potentially sell a house. According to reports, when Monique received the call, she was at home with John and her two daughters, who were one and three at the time. Monique left her home around 2 p.m. so that she could meet her potential client at the house. Now, whoever called Monique to see this house had called her personal phone instead of scheduling through the real estate agency. Now, this did send up red flags for Monique. She had apparently told a few people that she didn't know how this person had gotten her number, but she assumed that they must have gotten it from someone who she had previously worked with. And despite her reservations, Monique was excited about showing the house. Monique drove to the home in her black BMW, and she arrived around 3 p.m. She parked her car in front, and then she went inside the house. A little after Monique arrived and went inside the house, at about 3.18 p.m., a U-Haul truck arrived at the house. Now, the driver of the U-Haul truck backs the truck up into the driveway of the home so that the back of the truck is facing the garage doors. And then two people are seen getting out of the truck and entering into the home where Monique was. A few minutes later, two people are seen leaving the home and appears that a third person is being forced to walk out of the home. Then the two people, including the one that appears to be being forced, get into the cargo area of the truck and the third person gets into the driver's seat of the truck and the U-Haul pulls off. No one knew yet but Monique had just been kidnapped. At 5.30 p.m., two and a half hours after Monique was kidnapped from the home that she was supposed to be showing to potential client, 
A masked gunman, using a key, entered the home where Monique and John lived. And while Monique and John's three-year-old daughter sat nearby on a couch and their one-year-old daughter slept upstairs, the gunman opened fire, striking John multiple times. Now, despite being wounded, John was able to flee to the upstairs of his home. According to police records, John screamed at the gunman, I'm already dead. My babies are here. The gunman, however, didn't make sure that John was dead before he left. And so once John knew the gunman was gone, he called 911 at 5.40 p.m. to report that he'd been shot. When police arrived at the couple's home to take John to the hospital, Monique was still alive, but no one knew that her life was in danger. Now, John was rushed, rushed to the hospital in critical condition. And family members of Monique's began arriving at the home so that they could look after the girls while John was at the hospital. John was able to tell police that whoever had shot him had entered the house with a key. And when Monique's mom arrived at the house, she identified those keys as belonging to Monique. She also told police that Monique would normally be home by that time. But at this point, police still had no reason to believe that something had happened to Monique. But that would all change in less than an hour. At around 6.38 p.m., a device called a shot spotter detected three gunshots in an alleyway about four miles from where Monique lived. Now, for those of you who don't know what a shot spotter is, it's exactly what its name says. It's a shot spotter. And it's a device that they use a lot of times in inner cities to help police identify where shots have been fired in a particular area. Now, it doesn't prevent shootings, but I guess it gives police like a five-minute head start before people call 911. Now, when police arrive at the location where the gunshots were detected, they find a gruesome scene. They found Monique laying in the street. She had her hands tied behind her back, and she had been shot three times, twice in the torso and once in her face. When EMTs arrived, Monique was still clinging to life. She was rushed to the hospital, but doctors were unable to save Monique, and she was pronounced dead shortly after she was taken to the hospital. Police now have two shootings, one resulting in a homicide just an hour apart. But in the early hours of the investigation, police were not sure if the shootings were related. However, it wouldn't take them very long to put the pieces of this tragedy together. Now, if this story wasn't so tragic, this could also be a story about dumbass criminals. Now, excuse my language, but I really couldn't articulate a better description of these fools that were involved in this homicide. Police were able to quickly identify Monique as their victim, and they also knew that she was in a relationship and that she had lived in the home where John was shot just an hour before she was. But they didn't really know much else. Now, police started with the crime scene where Monique was found. They searched the neighborhood for any evidence or witnesses, and they ended up speaking to a witness who said that they saw a U-Haul truck pull into the alleyway shortly before the gunshots were heard. 
Now, the tip from this witness would be the first piece the police would need to get closer to exactly what happened. And after learning about the U-Haul, police also learned that Monique's BMW was missing. Now, John had also told police that he had last seen Monique around 2 p.m. when she left to show that home in Maple Grove. And so police went to that home and they found Monique's black BMW parked outside the house. Police now suspected that this home was the scene of an abduction. It was the last location Monique was known to have been in and her car was parked outside. So police began canvassing the area to see if anyone had seen anything that would help them. Now, after speaking to the neighbor that lived across the street, they learned that they had a surveillance camera on their house that might have captured something. The neighbor gave the footage to the police, and what they saw would be a huge break in the case. Their surveillance camera captures Monique arriving at the home, it captures the U-Haul arriving shortly after, and it captures what appeared to be Monique being forced into the cargo of the truck. Police now knew that this U-Haul and the people that were driving it were directly involved in Monique's murder. Police had three crime scenes to process. The home where the couple lived and John was shot, the alleyway where Monique was found, and the home for sale that was the location where Monique was kidnapped from. The evidence that investigators were finding was beginning to make it easy for police to solve this crime. First of all, the shell casings at both the home and the alleyway matched. They had both came from the same 45 caliber gun. They also learned, after speaking to a neighbor who lived near the couple's home, that he saw a U-Haul truck parked in the back of his home around the time of the shooting. Once again, this big, obvious U-Haul truck was seen again at another crime scene. Detectives can now link the U-Haul to all three crime scenes. But the sobering thing that I realized was that Monique was in the back of the truck when they went to her home and tried to kill her boyfriend. And that's just crazy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So after learning that the U-Haul was the connecting thread to everything that happened this tragic night, they know they needed to find who rented the U-Haul. From the surveillance footage, investigators were able to get the license plate number of the truck. And when they ran the plate, it led them back to one of those, you know, independent, you know, U-Haul companies. Now, investigators contacted the business and they tell police that two people rented the truck and they give the investigators these people's information. The U-Haul was also taken into custody so that it could be processed for evidence. And inside the truck, they found four pink nails. 
Those nails matched the nail that they found inside the house in Maple Grove and the ones that were on Monique's hands when she died. When investigators speak to the two people who rented the truck, they find out that they're a couple, a man and a woman. And the woman tells police that they had rented the U-Haul for their drug dealer named Cedric Barry. They told police that they rented the truck for Barry in exchange for heroin. Now, Cedric Barry was no stranger to the Minneapolis police. According to reports, Barry had a long, violent arrest record, and he was a known gang member in the streets of Minneapolis. With Cedric Barry now implicated in Monique's murder and John's attempted murder, detectives knew that they were getting closer to finding the people that were involved in this crime. Two days after Monique was brutally murdered, on January 2nd, 2020, police arrested Cedric Barry in connection with her death. And when police searched Barry's car, they found a ski mask matching the one that was worn by the person who was doing the home invasion and shot John. They also found 13 bags of heroin. Police also ended up seizing Barry's phone and, and his laptop as well. Now, immediately, police said that Barry was a rival drug dealer of John's and that they believed that that was the reason for the murder and the attempted murder of John. But besides Barry being a well-known gang member and a drug dealer, it's not really clear why police thought that John was too. I mean, I assume that it was that just that, an assumption. I mean, you know, I guess they thought, why else would Barry want to kill John and, and, and his girlfriend? And, of course, the media was all too happy to use that as part of their story, even though there was very little evidence pointing to John being involved in drugs in recent years. Now, John had had some run-ins with the law, but they were years before, and they were low-level drug offenses. He was not known as a big-time drug dealer. He was known as a rapper. But immediately, the story started to become clouded with claims that Monique was killed by a rival drug dealer who intended to kill her boyfriend and ended up killing her as collateral to get to him. But John, having survived the attempt on his life, pushed back on the allegations that this was about drugs. He claimed that he was not a drug dealer and that this was out of jealousy because of his success. He had also said that he had been flashing a lot of money on Instagram lately and that this may have been caused by someone who wanted to rob him and kill him. You know, one of the tr struggles of growing up in the hood or living in the hood or being from the hood is the crabs in a barrel mentality that's so deeply rooted in the trauma that exists there. You know, people sometimes don't want to see you win because it's a reminder of how much they're losing. But as detectives investigated this case, they began to learn that Cedric Barry was just one of the people involved in this case. When police started searching through Monique's phone, they found the phone number that had called to schedule the showing. The caller had actually placed the call for the first time on December 29th. Now, the woman left a voicemail and she identified herself as Lisa. And she said that she was interested in seeing the house in Maple Grove, you know, perhaps the next morning, which would have been December the 30th. Now, according to court records, Monique went to the home on Maple Grove, but she had taken another realtor with her. 
And so the original plan to kill Monique that day was changed to the next day, December 31st. And no one ended up showing to see the house, but Monique ended up getting a call from Lisa while she was there, and Lisa asked her, was the stove gas or electric? Police believed that she did this in an attempt to see if she was alone, and when they found out that she wasn't alone, they were forced to change their plan. When investigators hear the voicemail left by quote-unquote Lisa, they are able to identify the voice as Elsa Segura, a probation officer who police were familiar with. And Elsa had been a probation officer for a few years, but she had recently left her position. Now, once police learned that it was Elsa Segura's voice, they knew that they needed to speak to her. A search warrant of the phone, which was never found, showed that the phone had been activated at 4 p.m. on December 29th and that it was only used to call Monique's phone. When police speak to Elsa, she just admits it. She says that it was her that made the phone call and it was her that left the message. But who is Elsa Segura and why did she lure Monique to her death? There was no obvious connection to her and Monique, and there was no obvious connection to Cedric Berry either. Now, while John was recovering from his injuries, he had been working with police to try and piece together what happened to him and his girlfriend. When Cedric Berry was arrested and rumors started to circulate about Berry being a drug rival of John's, he was confused because, according to John, he had never met Cedric Berry a day in his life, so there was no way that he was a drug rival of his. In an interview that he did not long after Monique was murdered, John said that he was not a drug dealer and that he had no involvement with drugs and that these rumors were really just making him look like a monster. But when John spoke to police, he helped to identify someone else. A man named Lion Wiggins, who John said wanted to do him harm. Now, before signing his new record deal, John had apparently been on a different label with Wiggins. And according to John, there had been a dispute over music and some money, and that he believes that Wiggins wanted him dead over it. There had also been some rumors that John was the police informant, but that was never confirmed, and John, of course, denied those allegations. But the information that John gives detectives about who may be responsible for this crime helps police to connect the rest of the dots and helps to bring in all of the suspects in this case. So police have in custody Cedric Berry, and Elsa Segura has been charged, but now they need to figure out the connection between these two. The FBI ended up coming in to help the Minneapolis Police Department with this investigation. And with the help of the FBI, the detectives were able to use cell phone records to identify a third suspect. And his name was Barry Davis. Now, Barry Davis was married to Cedric Barry's sister, Shantae Davis. The cell phone records placed both Davis and his wife at the location of business where the U-Haul was picked up on the day it was picked up. They were also able to trace Barry Davis to the area where Monique had been kidnapped. His phone pinged on the same tower that both Cedric Barry and Elsa Segura's cell phones pinged the day that Monique was kidnapped. Police now knew that at least three people were involved in this murder. 
And after further investigation, police learned how Elsa Segura was connected to Barry and Davis. Elsa Segura was the girlfriend of Lyons Wiggins, the man who John had told police he thought was trying to kill him. Lyons Wiggins was a close friend to Barry Davis, who was the brother-in-law of Cedric Barry. The pieces were beginning to fall into place, and prosecutors were starting to see that perhaps that this was just like John said, a beef over music and money and not drugs. Police eventually arrested five suspects, including Wiggins and Shante Davis, for their roles in the murder and attempted murder. Barry Davis, after being charged, ended up fleeing Minneapolis, but he was eventually arrested five months later. Now, although an exact motive has never been clearly laid out, it's the belief of many, including prosecutors, that this was caused by a dispute between rival rappers, not drug dealers. It was clear to police and prosecutors that on December 31st, 2019, Elsa Segura, under the instruction of her boyfriend, Lyons Wiggins, lured Monique to a home in Maple Grove. Once there, Monique was kidnapped by Cedric Barry and Barry Davis and forced into the back of a U-Haul where she was assaulted. Monique had broken nails and a chipped tooth. They stole her keys. They drove to the home that she shared with her boyfriend and her daughters and shot her boyfriend three times while she was in the back of that truck. And then after shooting John... They assumed that he would just die, and so they drove Monique four miles from her home and shot her three times, leaving her dying in a cold alleyway. Prosecutors contended that John was the intended target for this murder, and that these people used Monique to find out where John lived so that they could kill him, and Monique was just a witness that they could not leave alive. Both men professed their innocence, but there was really no doubt that they were involved. Prosecutors had a mountain of evidence, including surveillance footage, text messages, cell phone records, and one of the suspect's fingerprints that was found on the duct tape that was used to bind Monique's hands. In July 2021, both men were convicted of the first-degree murder of Monique Bao and the attempted murder of her boyfriend, John they were both given life sentences. In May 2021, right before the trial of Barry and Davis, the charges against Segura and Wiggins were upgraded to aiding and abetting a first-degree murder after being indicted by a grand jury. Now, all three remaining suspects were scheduled for trial this summer. Segura's trial was set for June 21st, but I really couldn't find any information about her trial or if it has already started. Wiggins remains in federal custody, and he is still awaiting trial. Even after the trial and conviction of Barry and Davis, the cloud of suspicion still lingers over John's head. The original news stories about this being a drug rivalry are still very much attached to this case. But from what I could find and the case that the prosecutors laid out supports what John said, that this was over music and money. 
for people unfamiliar with the darker parts of the rap culture may not be able to understand why someone would kill someone over music. But then you have to remember that rappers are murdered all the time, unfortunately. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't have anything to do with drugs. We know about famous rappers, of course, like Big and Pac, and we know, you know, 50 Cent was shot nine times, and more recently, you know, Pop Smoke was murdered in a, in a robbery gone wrong. So it's not unlikely that a local rapper would be the target of a hit like this. It's not really that far-fetched. But Monique, she was an innocent victim. She was not the target, but her life mattered so little to these people that they were willing to kill her to find out where her boyfriend lived so that they could kill him. A band of idiots who used their own phones, a U-Haul truck that could be easily traced back to them, and a pair of heroin addicts to rent the truck. They stole her life in such a brutal way, kidnapping her, torturing her, and then shooting her three times. Monique's children will now have to grow up in a world without their mom. Her one-year-old daughter will have no memories of her own. And they will both live in a world where all they get is stories about who she was and the beautiful pictures that she left behind. Now, the police were able to work quickly in this case. They were able to find the murderers and all the people that were involved. But for Monique's mom, who testified at the sentencing for Barry and Davis, she said that their convictions and sentences bring little solace. But at least it's something. At least these men will never be allowed to do to someone else what they did to Monique. Monique was more than her death. She was more than the sensationalized headlines about a woman being killed in a drug dispute targeting her boyfriend. She was a mommy to two beautiful little girls. She was a daughter and a friend. She was a realtor who loved helping people make their dreams come true. Her life mattered more than her death. And I hope that with her killers behind bars, that she is resting peacefully. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.